Story 2, Part 2 of Chronicles of Avonlea by Lucy Maud Montgomery. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Story 2, Old Lady Lloyd, Part 2. Narrator, Paul Seminan. 4. THE AUGUST CHAPTER One day the minister's wife rushed in where Spencer Vale people had feared to tread, went boldly to old Lady Lloyd, and asked her if she wouldn't come to their sewing circle, which met fortnightly on Saturday afternoons. "'We are filling a box to send to our Trinidad missionary,' said the minister's wife. "'And we should be so pleased to have you come, Miss Lloyd.' The old lady was on the point of refusing, rather haughtily, not that she was opposed to missions, or sewing circles either, quite the contrary, but she knew that each member of the circle was expected to pay ten cents a week for the purpose of procuring sewing materials, and the poor old lady really did not see how she could afford it. But a sudden thought checked her refusal before it reached her lips. I suppose some of the young girls go to the circle, she said craftily. Oh, they all go, said the minister's wife. Janet Moore and Miss Gray are our most enthusiastic members. It is very lovely of Miss Gray to give her Saturday afternoons, the only ones she has free from pupils, to our work. But she really has the sweetest disposition. I'll join your circle, said the old lady promptly. She was determined she would do it, if she had to live on two meals a day to save the necessary fee. She went to the sewing circle at James Barton's the next Saturday, and did the most beautiful hand-sewing for them. She was so expert at it that she didn't need to think about it at all, which was rather fortunate, for all her thoughts were taken up with Sylvia, who sat in the opposite corner with Janet Moore her graceful hands busy with the little boy's coarse gingham shirt. Nobody thought of introducing Sylvia to old lady Lloyd, and the old lady was glad of it. She sewed finely away, and listened with all her ears to the girlish chatter which went on in the opposite corner. One thing she found out, Sylvia's birthday was the 20th of August, and the old lady was straightway fired with a consuming wish to give Sylvia a birthday present. She lay awake most of the night wondering if she could do it, and most sorrowfully concluded that it was utterly out of the question, no matter how she might pinch and contrive. Old Lady Lloyd worried quite absurdly over this, and it haunted her like a specter until the next sewing circle day. It met at Mrs. Moore's, and Mrs. Moore was especially gracious to Old Lady Lloyd and insisted on her taking the wicker rocker in the parlor. The old lady would rather have been in the sitting-room with the young girls, but she submitted for courtesy's sake, and she had her reward. Her chair was just behind the parlor door, and presently Janet Moore and Sylvia Gray came and sat on the stairs in the hall outside, where a cool breeze blew in through the maples before the front door. They were talking of their favorite poets. Janet appeared adored Byron and Scott. 
Sylvia leaned to Tennyson and Browning. Do you know, said Sylvia softly, my father was a poet. He published a little volume of verse once. And Janet, I've never seen a copy of it. And how, how I would love to. It was published when he was at college, just a small private edition to give his friends. He never published any more. Poor father. I think life disappointed him. But I have such longing to see that little book of his verse. I haven't a scrap of his writings. If I had it would seem as if it would possessed something of him, of his heart, his soul, his inner life. He would be something more than a mere name to me. Didn't he have a copy of his own? Didn't your mother have one? Asked Janet. Mother hadn't. She died when I was born, you know. But Auntie says there was no copy of father's poems among mother's books. Mother didn't care for poetry, Auntie says. Auntie does neither. Father went to Europe after mother died. And he died there the next year. Nothing to hail with him was ever sent home to us. He had sold most of his books before he went, but he gave a few of his favorite ones to Auntie to keep for me. His book wasn't among them. I don't suppose I shall ever find a copy, but I shall be so delighted if I only could. When the old lady got home, she took from her top bureau drawer an inlet box of sandalwood. It held a little slim, limp volume wrapped in tissue paper, the old lady's most treasured possession. On the fly-leaf was written, To Margaret, with the author's love. The old lady turned the yellow leaves with trembling fingers, and, through eyes brimming with tears, read the verses, although she had known them all by heart for years. She meant to give the book to Sylvia for a birthday present one of the most precious gifts ever given, if the value of gift is gauged by the measure of self-sacrifice involved. In that little book was immortal love, old laughter, old tears, old beauty which had bloomed like a rose years ago, holding still its sweetness like old rose leaves. She removed the tell-tale fly-leaf, and late on the night before Sylvia's birthday, the old lady crept under cover of the darkness through byways and across fields, as if bent on some nefarious expedition, to the little Spencervale store, where the post office was kept. She slipped the thin parcel through the slit in the door, and then stole home again, feeling a strange sense of loss and loneliness. It was as if she had given away the last link between herself and her youth. But she did not regret it. It would give Sylvia pleasure and that had come to be the overmastering passion of the old lady's heart. The next night the light in Sylvia's room burned very late, and the old lady watched it triumphantly, knowing the meaning of it. Sylvia was reading her father's poems, and the old lady in her darkness read them too, murmuring the lines over and over to herself. After all, giving away the book had not mattered so very much. She had the soul of it still, and the fly-leaf with the name in Leslie's writing, by which nobody ever called her now. The old lady was sitting on the Marshall sofa the next sewing circle afternoon, when Sylvia Gray came and sat down beside her. The old lady's hands trembled a little, 
and one side of a handkerchief which was afterward given as a Christmas present to a little olive-skinned coolie in Trinidad, was not quite so exquisitely done as the other three sides. Sylvia at first talked of the circle, and Mrs. Marshall's dahlias, and the old lady was in the seventh heaven of delight, though she took care not to show it, and was even a little more stately and finely mannered than usual. When she asked Sylvia how she liked living in Spencervale, Sylvia said, Very much. Everybody's so kind to me. Besides, Sylvia lowered her voice so that nobody but the old lady could hear it. I have a very godmother here who does the most beautiful and wonderful things for me. Sylvia, being a girl of fine instincts, did not look at old lady Lloyd as she said this, but she would not have seen anything if she had looked. The old lady was not a Lloyd for nothing. How very interesting, she said indifferently. Isn't it? I'm so grateful to her, and I wish so much you might know how much pleasure she has given me. I have found lovely flowers and delicious berries on my path all summer. I feel sure she has sent me my party dress. But the dearest gift came last week on my birthday. A little volume on my father's poems. I can't express what I felt on receiving them. But I long to meet my fairy godmother and thank her. Quite a fascinating mystery, isn't it? Have you really no idea who she is? The old lady asked this dangerous question with marked success. She would not have been so successful if she had not been so sure that Sylvia had no idea of the old romance between her and Leslie Gray. As it was, she had a comfortable conviction that she herself was the very last person Sylvia would be likely to suspect. Sylvia hesitated for an almost unnoticeable moment. Then she said, I haven't tried to find out, because I don't think she wants me to know. At first, of course, in the matter of the flowers and dress, I did try to solve the mystery, but since I received the book, I became convinced that this was my fairy godmother who was doing it all, and I respected her wish for concealment and always shall. Perhaps some day she will rear herself to me. I hope so, at least. I wouldn't hope it, said the old lady discouragingly. Fairy godmothers, at least in all the fairy tales I ever read, are somewhat apt to be queer, crotchety people, much more agreeable when wrapped up in mystery than when met face to face. I'm convinced that mine is the very opposite, and that the better I became acquainted with her, the more charming on a personage I should find her, said Sylvia gaily. Mrs. Marshall came up at this juncture and entreated Miss Gray to sing for them. Miss Gray, consenting sweetly, the old lady was left alone and was rather glad of it. She enjoyed her conversation with Sylvia much more in thinking it over after she got home than while it was taking place. When an old lady has a guilty conscience, it is apt to make her nervous and distract her thoughts from immediate pleasure. She wondered a little uneasily if Sylvia really did suspect her. Then she concluded that it was out of the question. Who would suspect a mean, unsociable old lady, who had no friends, and who gave only five cents to the sewing circle, when everyone else gave ten or fifteen, to be a fairy godmother, the donor of beautiful party dresses, and the recipient of gifts from romantic, aspiring young poets. 5. The September Chapter 
In September the old lady looked back on the summer, and owed to herself that it had been a strangely happy one, with Sundays and sewing circle days standing out like golden punctuation marks in a poem of life. She felt like an utterly different woman, and other people thought her different also. The sewing circle women found her so pleasant, and even friendly, that they began to think that they had misjudged her, and that perhaps it was eccentricity after all, and not meanness, which accounted for her peculiar mode of living. Sylvia Gray always came over and talked to her on circle afternoons now, and the old lady treasured every word she said in her heart, and repeated them over and over to her lonely self in the watches of the night. Sylvia never talked of herself or her plans, unless asked about them, and the old lady's self-consciousness prevented her from asking any personal questions. So their conversation kept to the surface of things, and it was not from Sylvia, but from the minister's wife, that the old lady finally discovered what her darling's dearest ambition was. The minister's wife had dropped in at the old Lloyd place one evening, late in September, when a chilly wind was blowing up from the northeast and moaning about the eaves of the house, as if the burden of its lay were harvest is ended and summer is gone. The old lady had been listening to it, as she plaited a little basket of sweet grass for Sylvia. She had walked all the way to Avonlea Sandhills for it the day before, and she was very tired, and her heart was sad. The summer which had so enriched her life was almost over, and she knew that Sylvia Gray talked of leaving Spencervale at the end of October. The old lady's heart felt like very lead within her at the thought and she almost welcomed the advent of the minister's wife as a distraction, although she was desperately afraid that the minister's wife had called to ask for a subscription for the new vestry carpet, and the old lady simply could not afford to give one cent. But the minister's wife had merely dropped in on her way home from the Spencers, and she did not make any embarrassing requests. Instead, she talked about Sylvia Gray, and her words fell on the old lady's ears like separate pearl notes of unutterably sweet music. The minister's wife had nothing but praise for Sylvia. She was so sweet and beautiful and winning. And with such a boy, said the minister's wife enthusiastically, adding with a sigh, It's such a shame she can't have it properly trained. She would certainly become a great singer. Competent critics have told her so. But she is so poor she doesn't think she can ever possibly manage it, unless she can get one of the Cameron scholarships, as they are called, and she has very little hope of that, although the professor of music who taught her has sent her name in. What are the Cameron scholarships? asked the old lady. Well, I suppose you have heard of Andrew Cameron, the millionaire? said the minister's wife, serenely unconscious that she was causing the very bones of the old lady's family skeleton to jangle in their closet. Into the old lady's white face came a sudden faint stain of color, as if a rough hand had struck her cheek. Yes, I've heard of him, she said. Well, it seems that he had a daughter, who was a very beautiful girl, and whom he idolized. She had a fine voice, and he was going to send her abroad to have it trained, and she died. It nearly broke his heart, I understand. But ever since, he sends one young girl away to Europe every year for a thorough musical education under the best teachers in memory of his daughter. He has sent nine or ten already, 
but I fear there isn't much chance for Sylvia Gray, and she doesn't think there is herself. Why not? asked the old lady spiritedly. I'm sure that there can be few voices equal to Miss Gray's. Very true. But you see, these so-called scholarships are private affairs, dependent solely on the whim and choice of Andrew Cameron himself. Of course, when a girl has friends who use their influence with him, he will often send her on the recommendation. They say he sent a girl last year who hadn't much of a voice at all, just because her father had been an old business crony of his. But Sylvia doesn't know anyone at all who would, to use a slang term, have any pull with Andrew Cameron, and she is not acquainted with him herself. Well, I must be going. We'll see you at the manse on Saturday, I hope, Miss Lloyd. The circle meets there, you know. Yes, I know, said the old lady absently. When the minister's wife had gone, she dropped her sweet grass basket and sat for a long, long time, with her hands lying idly in her lap, and her big black eyes staring unseeingly at the wall before her. Old Lady Lloyd, so pitifully poor that she had to eat six crackers the less a week to pay her fee to the sewing circle, knew that it was in her power, hers, to send Leslie Gray's daughter to Europe for her musical education. If she chose to use her pull with Andrew Cameron, if she went to him and asked him to send Sylvia Gray abroad the next year, she had no doubt whatever that it would be done. It all lay with her, if, if, if she could so far crush and conquer her pride as to stoop to ask a favor of the man who had wronged her and hers so bitterly. Years ago, her father, acting under the advice and urgency of Andrew Cameron, had invested all his little fortune in an enterprise that had turned out a failure. Abraham Lloyd had lost every dollar he possessed, and his family were reduced to utter poverty. Andrew Cameron might have been forgiven for a mistake, but there was a strong suspicion, amounting to almost certainty, that he had been guilty of something far worse than a mistake in regard to his uncle's investment. Nothing could be legally proved, but it was certain that Andrew Cameron, already noted for his sharp practices, emerged with improved finances from an entanglement that had ruined many better men. And old Dr. Lloyd had died broken-hearted, believing that his nephew had deliberately victimized him. Andrew Cameron had not quite done this. He had meant well enough by his uncle at first, and what he had finally done he tried to justify to himself by the doctrine that a man must look out for number one. Margaret Lloyd made no such excuses for him. She held him responsible, not only for her lost fortune, but for her father's death, and never forgave him for it. When Abraham Lloyd had died, Andrew Cameron, perhaps pricked by his conscience, had come to her, sleekly and smoothly, to offer her financial aid. He would see, he told her, that she never suffered want. Margaret Lloyd flung his offer back in his face after a fashion that left nothing to be desired in the way of plain speaking. She would die, she told him passionately, before she would accept a penny or a favor from him. He had preserved an unbroken show of good temper, expressed his heartfelt regret that she should share such an unjust opinion of him, and had left her with an 
oily assurance that he would always be her friend and would always be delighted to render her any assistance in his power whenever she should choose to ask for it the old lady had lived for twenty years on the firm conviction that she would die in the poorhouse as indeed seemed not unlikely before she would ask a favor of andrew cameron and so in truth she would have had it been for herself but for sylvia could she so far humble herself for sylvia's sake the question was not easily or speedily settled as had been the case in the matters of the grape-jug and the book of poems for a whole week the old lady fought her pride and bitterness sometimes in the hours of sleepless night when all human resentments and rancors seemed petty and contemptible she thought she had conquered it but in the daytime when the picture of her father looking down at her from the wall and the rustle of her unfashionable dresses worn because of andrew cameron's double dealing in her ears it got the better of her again but the old lady's love for sylvia had grown so strong and deep and tender that no other feeling could endure finally against it love is a great miracle worker and never had its power been more strongly made manifest than on the cold dull autumn morning when the old lady walked to bright river railway station and took the train to charlottetown bent on the errand the very thought of which turned her soul sick within her the station-master who sold her her ticket thought old lady lloyd looked uncommonly white and peaked as if she hadn't slept a wink or eaten a bite for a week he told his wife at dinner-time guess there's something wrong in her business affairs this is the second time she's gone to town this summer when the old lady reached the town she ate her slender little lunch and then walked out to the suburb where the cameron factories and warehouses were it was a long walk for her but she could not afford to drive she felt very tired when she was shown into the shining luxurious office where andrew cameron sat at his desk after the first startled glance of surprise he came forward beamingly with outstretched hand why cousin margaret this is a pleasant surprise sit down allow me this is a much more comfortable chair did you come in this morning and how is everyone out in spencervale the old lady had flushed at his first words to hear the name by which her father mother and lover had called her on andrew cameron's lips seemed like profanation but she told herself the time was past for squeamishness if she could ask a favor of andrew cameron she could bear lesser pangs for sylvia's sake she shook hands with him for sylvia's sake she sat down in the chair he offered but for no living human being's sake could this determined old lady infuse any cordiality into her manner or her words she went straight to the point with lloyd's simplicity i have come to ask a favor of you she said looking him in the eye not at all humbly or meekly as became a supplicant but challengingly and defiantly as if she dared him to refuse delighted to hear it cousin margaret never was anything so bland and gracious as his tone anything i can do for you i shall only be too pleased to do i am afraid you have looked upon me as an enemy margaret and i assure you i have felt your injustice keenly i realize that some appearances were against me but 
the old lady lifted her hand and stemmed his eloquence by that one gesture i did not come here to discuss that matter she said we will not refer to the past if you please i came to ask a favour not for myself but for a very dear young friend of mine a miss grey who has a remarkably fine voice which she wishes to have trained she is poor so i came to ask you if you would give her one of your musical scholarships i understand her name has already been suggested to you with a recommendation from her teacher i do not know what he has said of her voice but i do know he could hardly overrate it if you send her abroad for training you will not make any mistake the old lady stopped talking she felt sure andrew cameron would grant her request but she did hope he would grant it rather rudely or unwillingly she could accept the favor so much more easily if it were flung to her like a bone to a dog but not a bit of it andrew cameron was suaver than ever nothing could give him greater pleasure than to grant his dear cousin margaret's request he only wished it involved more trouble on his part her little protege should have her musical education assuredly she should go abroad next year and he was delighted thank you said the old lady cutting him short again i am much obliged to you and i ask you not to let miss grey know anything of my interference and i shall not take up any more of your valuable time good afternoon oh you mustn't go so soon he said with some real kindness or clannishness permeating the hateful cordiality of his voice for andrew cameron was not entirely without the homely virtues of the average man he had been a good husband and father he had once been very fond of his cousin margaret and he was really very sorry that circumstances had compelled him to act as he had done in that old affair of her father's investment you must be my guest to-night thank you i must return home to-night said the old lady firmly and there was that in her tone which told andrew cameron that it would be useless to urge her but he insisted on telephoning for his carriage to drive her to the station the old lady submitted to this because she was secretly afraid her own legs would not suffice to carry her there she even shook hands with him at parting and thanked him a second time for granting her request not at all he said please try to think a little more kindly of me cousin margaret when the old lady reached the station she found to her dismay that her train had just gone and that she would have to wait two hours for the evening one she went into the waiting-room and sat down she was very tired all the excitement that had sustained her was gone and she felt weak and old she had nothing to eat having expected to get home in time for tea the waiting-room was chilly and she shivered in her thin old silk mantilla her head ached and her heart likewise she had won sylvia's desire for her but sylvia would go out of her life and the old lady did not see how she was going to go on living after that yet she sat there unflinchingly for two hours an upright indomitable old figure silently fighting her losing battle with the forces of physical and mental pain while happy people came and went and laughed and talked before her at eight o'clock the old lady got off the train at bright river station and slipped off unnoticed into the darkness of the wet night she had two miles to walk and a cold rain was falling soon the old lady was wet to the skin and chilled to the marrow 
she felt as if she were walking in a bad dream. Blind instinct alone guided her over the last mile and up the lane to her own house. As she fumbled at her door, she realized that a burning heat had suddenly taken the place of her chilliness. She stumbled in over her threshold and closed the door. 6. THE OCTOBER CHAPTER on the second morning after old lady lloyd's journey to town sylvia gray was walking blithely down the wood lane it was a beautiful autumn morning clear and crisp and sunny the frosted ferns drenched and battered with the rain of yesterday gave out a delicious fragrance here and there in the woods a maple waved a gay crimson banner or a branch of birch showed pale golden against the dark unchanging spruces the air was very pure and exhilarating. Sylvia walked with a joyous lightness of step and uplift of brow. At the beach in the hollow she paused for an expectant moment, but there was nothing among the gray old roots for her. She was just turning away when little Teddy Kimball, who lived next door to the manse, came running down the slope from the direction of the old Lloyd place. Teddy's freckled face was very pale. He gasped. I guess old lady Lloyd has gone clean crazy at last. The minister's wife asked me to run up to the old lady with a message about the sewing circle, and I knocked and knocked, and nobody came. So I thought that I'd just step in and leave the letter on the table. But when I opened the door, I heard an awful queer laughing in the sitting room, and next minute the old lady came to the sitting room door. Oh, Miss Gray! She looked awful, her face was red and her eyes awful wild, and she was muttering and talking to herself and laughing like mad. I was so scared I just turned and ran. Sylvia, without stopping for reflection, caught Teddy's hand and ran up the slope. It did not occur to her to be frightened, although she thought with Teddy that the poor, lonely, eccentric old lady had really gone out of her mind at last. The old lady was sitting on the kitchen sofa when Sylvia entered. Teddy, too frightened to go in, lurked on the step outside. The old lady still wore the damp black silk dress in which she had walked from the station. Her face was flushed, her eyes wild, her voice hoarse. But she knew Sylvia and cowered down. Don't look at me, she moaned. Please go away. I can't bear that you should know how poor I am. You're to go to Europe. Andrew Cameron is going to send you. I asked him. He couldn't refuse me. But please go away. Sylvia did not go away. At a glance she had seen that this was sickness and delirium, not insanity. She sent Teddy off in hot haste for Mrs. Spencer. And when Mrs. Spencer came, they induced the old lady to go to bed and sent for the doctor. By night, everybody in Spencervale knew that old Lady Lloyd had pneumonia. Mrs. Spencer announced that she meant to stay and nurse the old lady. Several other women offered assistance. Everybody was kind and thoughtful. But the old lady did not know it. She did not even know Sylvia Gray, who came and sat by her every minute she could spare. Sylvia Gray now knew all that she had suspected. The old lady was her fairy godmother. The old lady babbled of Sylvia incessantly, revealing all her love for her, betraying all the sacrifices she had made. 
Sylvia's heart ached with love and tenderness, and she prayed earnestly that the old lady might recover. I want her to know that I give her love for love, she murmured. Everybody knew now how poor the old lady really was. She let slip all the jealously guarded secrets of her existence, except her old love for Leslie Gray. Even in delirium, something sealed her lips as to that. But all else came out. Her anguish over her unfashionable attire, her pitiful makeshifts and contrivances, her humiliation over wearing unfashionable dresses and paying only five cents, where every other sewing circle member paid ten. The kindly women who waited on her listened to her with tear-filled eyes and repented of their harsh judgments in the past. But I would have thought it, said Mrs. Spencer to the minister's wife. Nobody ever dreamed that her father had lost all his money. The folks supposed that she had lost some in that old affair of the silver mine out west. It's shocking to think of the way she has lived all these years, often with not enough to eat and going to bed in winter days to save fuel. Though I suppose if we had known, we couldn't have done much for her. She's so desperate proud. But if she lives and will let us help her, things will be different after this. Crooked Jack says she'll never forgive himself for taking pay for the few little jobs he did for her. He says if she'll only let him, he'll do everything she wants done for her after this for nothing. Ain't it strange for to fancy she's took to Miss Gray? Think of her doing all those things for her all summer and selling the grape jug and all. Well, the old lady certainly isn't mean, but nobody mistake in calling her queer. It all just seemed desperate pitiful. Miss Gray's taken it awful hard. She seems to think about as much as the old lady as the old lady thinks of her. She's so worked up she don't even seem to care about going to Europe next year. She's really going. She's had word from Andrew Cameron. I'm awful glad, for there never was a sweeter girl in the world. But he says it will cost too much if the old lady's lost to pay for it. Andrew Cameron heard of the old lady's illness and came out to Spencervale himself. He was not allowed to see the old lady, of course, but he told all concerned that no expense or trouble was to be spared, and the Spencervale doctor was instructed to send his bill to Andrew Cameron and hold his peace about it. Moreover, when Andrew Cameron went back home, he sent a trained nurse out to wait on the old lady, a capable, kindly woman who contrived to take charge of the case without offending Mrs. Spencer, than which no higher tribute could be paid to her tact. The old lady did not die. The Lloyd Constitution brought her through. One day, when Sylvia came in, the old lady smiled up at her with a weak, faint, sensible smile, and murmured her name, and the nurse said that the crisis was past. The old lady made a marvelously patient and tractable invalid. She did just as she was told, and accepted the presence of the nurse as a matter of course. But one day, when she was strong enough to talk a little, she said to Sylvia, I suppose Andrew Cameron sent Miss Hayes here, did he? Yes, said Sylvia rather timidly. The old lady noticed the timidity and smiled, with something of her old humor and spirit in her black eyes. Time has been when I'd have packed off unceremoniously any person Andrew Cameron sent here, she said. But, Sylvia, I have gone through the valley of the shadow of death, and I have left pride and resentment behind me for ever, I hope. I no longer feel as I felt toward Andrew. I can even accept a personal favor from him now. At last I can forgive him for the wrong he did me and mine. Sylvia, I find that I have been letting no end of cats out of bags in my illness. Everybody knows now how poor I am, but I don't seem to mind it a bit. 
i am only sorry that i ever shut my neighbours out of my life because of my foolish pride every one has been so kind to me sylvia in the future if my life is spared it is going to be a very different sort of life i am going to open it all to the kindness and companionship i can find in young and old i am going to help them all i can and let them help me i can help people i've learned that money isn't the only power for helping people any one who has sympathy and understanding to give has a treasure that is without money and without price and oh sylvia you've found out what i never meant you to know but i don't mind that now either sylvia took the old lady's thin white hand and kissed it i can never thank you enough for what you have done for me dearest miss lloyd she said earnestly and i am so glad that all mystery is done away with between us and i can love you as much and as openly as i have longed to do i am so glad and so thankful that you love me dear fairy godmother do you know why i love you so said the old lady wistfully did i let that out in my raving too no but i think i know it is because i am leslie gray's daughter isn't it i know that father loved you his brother uncle willis told me all about it i spoiled my own life because of my wicked pride said the old lady sadly but you will love me in spite of it all won't you sylvia and you will come to see me sometimes and write me after you go away i am coming to see you every day said sylvia i am going to stay in spencervale for a whole year yet just to be near you and next year when i go to europe thanks to you fairy godmother i write you every day we're going to be the best of chums and we're going to have a most beautiful year of comradeship the old lady smiled contentedly out in the kitchen the minister's wife who had brought up a dish of jelly was talking to mrs spencer about the sewing circle through the open window where the red vines hung came the pungent sun-warm october air the sunshine fell over sylvia's chestnut hair like a crown of glory and youth i do feel so perfectly happy said the old lady with a long rapturous breath end of story two part two end of story two